Our uh, gospel reading today from Matthew, the 18th chapter, in these uh, three verses, we hear Jesus speaking to us about our life together in the church and what to do when the problem of sin arises. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you're not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So as indicated in the order of worship, this is the second part of a two-week meditation on Christian community, this living community called the church. And we need to remember that the church is God's idea. It's not a human institution, as some like to say, nor is it simply a voluntary association of like-minded people. Uh, This life together that we have in Christ, this church to which we belong, was established by God. It's loved by God, and it is sustained by God. So if you missed the message last week, I really do think it's worth listening to on our website. Today's sermon builds on what we learned together last week. I observe this in my own children, and in this season of life, I've seen it take place even with my grandchildren. When youngsters meet each other, the initial conversation will often go something like this. Hi, what's your name? What's your favorite toy? You want to play? But when grown-ups meet each other, the conversation's a little different. Hello, pleasure to meet you. And then invariably the question is asked, So, what do you do? And that question has nothing to do with your favorite toys. (laughs) It is a question asked so that someone can size you up, (laughs) determine into which category that they've assembled that you belong. I always enjoy the reactions when people ask me, so what do you do? When I tell them I'm pastor of a congregation in Albuquerque, I often hear, oh, 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 that's nice. Please excuse me, because suddenly there's another person on the opposite side of the room that is infinitely more interesting than I. And sometimes people don't run away. And they say, you're a pastor? Hmm. No offense, mind you. I really don't like organized man-made religion. Mind you, it's nothing personal. I just don't like the church. Well, which means they don't like you. (laughs) And I used to just smile and say, well, thanks for sharing. When people make comments like that, especially when I'm trying to relax on vacation and sitting on a long flight. But maybe... 
Maybe in my 60s, I'm getting a little crotchety. Because nowadays, I respond differently. And it's really fun to respond differently, especially on a long flight, because that person has no place to go run and hide. (laughs) Now, I, I try to stay polite, and I listen to what they have to say, but I insist they, gave, they give me the same opportunity to speak. And here's some of the things I ask them. So, you don't like organized religion? Um, do you prefer unorganized religion? Tell me about that. Do you, do you like chaos? Do you, do you make it up as you go along? Tell me about that. And then I let folks know that the church is not man-made. And I'll ask them, do you know that the church is God's idea? And I'm telling you, most of the time people say no. No. And then I do my best, not as a pastor, but as a Christian, to let them know what God's Word says about the church. And then I'll say, so tell me, what really makes you dislike the church so much? What is it? And a lot of folks will say, well, I don't like this, that, or some other thing about church. And it's usually a very uh, false image, uh, a hateful stereotype, and a most unkind caricature of what the church is that has nothing to do with reality. And I say, well, I agree with you. I If that's what church is, I I wouldn't like it either. Of course you don't like that, but more often than not, some people say, well, I, I used to belong to a church. And then they describe something that happened. Something or someone hurt their feelings. And they separated themselves. In fact, we could use the phrase, they excommunicated themselves. They removed themselves from communion with other people. And it almost always has to do with human sin. And it turns out these people who don't like organized religion were looking for a perfect church with perfect people, and they never found it, huh? (laughs) And Jesus knew that, didn't he? I mean, he's yet to ascend to the right hand of the Father. He's yet to go the way of the cross. But already here in the middle section of Matthew's Gospel, he's starting to teach about life together in the church because he knew that his people would have to face the reality of sin. And in our lesson today, he tells us what we can do about it. So as we meditate on the Word on our life together, the nature of the church, and the reality of sin, let's remember some very important biblical truths. I've already touched on one of them. The church belongs to Almighty God. It's His creation. It's not a man-made institution. He 
organized it. It's not www.church.com. It's not hashtag church on earth. It's people. People like you. People like all believers around the world. Baptized into the death and raised with Christ and his resurrection. People who are known and claimed by name, by the God of love. That's who you are. You're named, you're claimed, you belong to Jesus. And he knew that from time to time there'd be problems among us, even among the church. Now we can look at the broad brushstrokes throughout church history and see the greed, the corruption, the disobedience, the abuses that have taken place. None of those are God's idea, but the church is. Adopting you and me as his sons and daughters is God's idea as well. But the things that we often do that hurt one another and go against God's wishes are not his will. So, the church is his creation. In fact, the church is loved by the Lord so much that he even refers to it as his beloved, precious bride. Did you know that's a biblical image for the church, the bride of Christ? Christ loves his bride. But he does not love her sin. And so this leads us to the second important truth about this life together. The church is not perfect. Jesus provides this uh, guidance and instruction because church members do sin. And sometimes we sin against one another. We live by grace not claiming any righteousness of our own. We pursue the truth. We seek holiness. We do our best. But sin is always near at hand. And because of this amazing grace, we are saved. And having been saved, we do our utmost to honor God and love one another. But even when we're doing our best, we find ourselves, don't we? And we find others falling short. And the Word of God teaches us from 1 John chapter 1, well, if we claim to be perfect, if we say we have no sin, well, we deceive ourselves. The truth isn't in us, and we're telling God that he's a liar. So we make it our goal to be truthful, (laughs) to be honest, even in the midst of our many imperfections. No church is perfect. No congregation on earth is perfect. No pastor is perfect, that's for sure. But I can also say no church member is perfect either. But to all of that, we can say yet. We're not perfect yet. When Christ comes again in glory, then and only then, his bride, his church will be perfect when sin and death are swallowed up forever. Until that great day, that day that's surely coming, Jesus left us these clear instructions about how to deal with the problem of sin that's very real. And just think about it, if you would. Are your families of origin? Your relationship with your parents, your siblings, your spouses? Is that perfect? Do you ever have your feelings hurt? Are there ever misunderstandings? Do you ever say things in anger or impatience to the people in your own family? I think so. And if such things can happen in your individual families, then why would we think that such things would never happen 
when we get together as one bigger family (laughs) called the church. So Jesus knew this. And in these words of instruction, we learn from Christ that we as his people are to seek restoration when the problem of sin arises. We are to seek restoration, not condemnation. And you see, that's what so many people tell me when they find out I'm a pastor. They think the church is just about judgment and self-righteousness and condemning people. And I say, well, no, that's God's job is to judge. And he puts us in this um, ministry of restoration. When Jesus is speaking, he's talking about regaining your brother or your sister. And we don't get to quit after just one attempt. There's a persistence here in these words. Do it again. Bring a couple others if you need to. Hey, this is so important. Bring it before the whole congregation. Restoration is that important to God. Now the world, huh? (coughs) The world would have us take a different path. It's the path I learned on the playground. If someone sins against you, if someone does you wrong, boom, let him have it. And he won't do you wrong anymore. Or he'll at least think twice about it. The world teaches us to get even. And if someone sins against you, well, hey, I'm putting you on this list. I'm never trusting you again. That's not the biblical model, is it? The church tells the truth about sin. We're honest about it. We don't ignore it. We don't dismiss it. We don't gloss over it. And in these words of Christ, letting the person who refuses to admit sin be to you as a Gentile or tax collector, woo, wow, that's pretty strong, isn't it? And do any of you collect taxes? Anybody here work for the IRS? How do you feel? But hey, unless you've got Jewish ancestry, you you all come from Gentile blood. How do you feel? (laughs) See, sin is serious. It can be fatal. The Bible reminds us that the wages of sin is death. That's from Romans 6. So when a person refuses to face the truth about their fatal disease, their sin sickness, Jesus says, let that person be like a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, what does that really mean? It doesn't mean what a lot of people wrongly think it means. And I love what Pastor Eugene Peterson says in his paraphrase of the Bible because he gets right to the heart of the matter. If that person won't listen, take it to some others so that the presence of some witnesses will keep things honest and try again. If he still won't listen, tell the church. And if he still won't listen, you have to start all over from scratch. Confront him with the need for repentance and offer again God's forgiving love. You see, sin is sin. And when Jesus says, treat people like tax collectors and Gentiles, he's talking about people who are outside the kingdom. And how did Jesus treat those people outside the kingdom? I mean, he got criticized for spending time with them, didn't he? He reached out to them over and over again had to show them patiently through his preaching, through his actions, and through his stories called parables what it means to be honest about the sin problem 
and seek God's will as a member of his kingdom. I would lovingly suggest that you try applying the standard in your relationships with loved ones and friends who are believers in Jesus Christ. This is not some other worldly ideal meant to sound sanctimonious but impractical. It is divine instruction for practical living. And it's often hardest to apply in our own families, isn't it? Because too many times we allow other ways of dealing with conflict and sin to determine our actions and our behaviors. But we aren't to be people who gossip, complain, or gripe about someone else behind their back when they do you wrong. Jesus says, go to that person one-on-one, not to humiliate, but to regain and restore. Is that hard? Absolutely. But since when does Jesus invite us to take the easy path or the safest way? In fact, he says, you want to live? Pick up your cross and get in line. I'll show you how. I want to share with you a personal experience. And when I share personal experiences, it is never, it is never to say I know better than you or to put myself on a pedestal. I don't belong on a pedestal. And if you question that, just ask my wife, Kirsten, and she'll let you know. But just before Christmas, I experienced the power of one-on-one reconciliation with the brother in Christ. Some bad stuff happened between us a long time ago, almost 20 years ago. And there was nothing good between us. But as a result of the Holy Spirit moving, we sat down over a cup of coffee and we both admitted we'd made plenty of mistakes And we name those mistakes for what they are, sin. And then we offered mercy and grace and forgiveness to one another. And that broken relationship has been healed. This really can work. doesn't mean it always works so easily, but it can. But it won't have an opportunity to work unless we try it on. But that doesn't mean that it necessarily works so well outside the fellowship of the church where there are, as we learned again in yesterday's training from Officer Lahaki, where there are people who are filled with evil. They have no desire to please God or to obey Christ. So, this is the last time I'll tell this story. Some of you have heard it before. Some of you are going to hear it for the first time. But I've shared it enough, but I think it's illustrative. When two thugs came after me with baseball bats one Wednesday night after another long day here at Faith, I did not say, wait, my brothers, I see that you are about to sin because you want to take my wallet and my keys and You keep trying to hit my face with your bats. Please stop. Brothers, why are you not listening to me? Stay here, and I will go get one or two witnesses to come because you refuse to acknowledge your sin. I didn't do that that night. I did 
what I needed to do to protect myself and my family. Because I knew if those bad guys took me down, there's my keys with one to the front door, and they could have gone straight into the house to harm my wife and my four daughters. And I think I have a godly duty to protect my family. So let's remember, this teaching, according to Christ, is for the church. We are to put this into practice in our Christian relationships. Don't try it out with some thug in the parking lot. And if someone comes in here on a Sunday morning with a weapon, what did we learn yesterday? You run, you go hide, or you fight. (laughs) There's the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of our Lord, and they're not the same. But when someone asks you in a non-threatening encounter, (laughs) what do you do? That question adults like to ask. Well, if the question has to do with jobs and earning a paycheck, well, that answer will vary from person to person, won't it? But if we're talking about our life together in Christ, then our answers should be very similar. What do we do? We seek the mind of Christ. We do our best to follow Jesus. And hard as it can be, we pray for and do our best to find reconciliation and restoration whenever and wherever possible. May the peace that far surpasses all human understanding Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.